So the reading this morning is from Exodus 3, uh, chapters 1 to 6, Moses and the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from, from within the bush, Moses. Moses! And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So I wanted us to um, think about feet today, what I did with the children, and uh, looking at Exodus 3 that, uh, that Aston read for us earlier, I, I want to think about feet again now. Uh, it's interesting. When we think about ourselves and God, uh, we might have a tendency to cover up who we really are. Uh, I think there's a certain discomfort about a God who can't be fooled you know, who sees beyond our exterior. The thought of such a God meeting us can make us feel uncomfortable about ourselves. And, and our response sometimes is to kind of try and hide. Uh, it's a bit like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Uh, the thought of our nakedness, our vulnerability, the thought of God seeing exactly who we are makes us feel like in Genesis 3 ashamed and of, or afraid perhaps. And so we hide. Or like Moses here in Exodus 3 verse 6, we hide our face from God because we're actually afraid to look at him. Now perhaps that reaction comes from a mistaken assumption of how God will react to our imperfections. You know, maybe we worry that God will reel back from us in disgust, or he'll hate us maybe, or condemn us, maybe even destroy us. And so in our anxiety about ourselves, we attempt to cover up who we are, cover up our imperfections and hide behind a mask, perhaps present a different version of ourselves and hope that God will be convinced we're actually okay. Now, perhaps on a psychological level, that's how we feel in all our relationships to some degree, you know, but maybe the thought of God in all his perfection just brings that out even more starkly, you know, how we feel deep down about ourselves. And like Adam or Eve or Moses here, we feel a bit afraid, anxious uh, about who we are, perhaps, anxious about the, either the acceptance or non-acceptance of others and of God himself. And yet here in Exodus 3, when Moses met with God, and the very ground itself, we're told, was holy, God told Moses he must take off his sandals and he must meet God on that holy ground with completely bare feet, 
He must tread on that holy ground uncovered. And I find that quite fascinating. Moses had to meet with God without any barrier at all between his skin and God's holiness, without any preparation, without any protection, without any pretense or covering, there and then his feet must just be bared as they were in all their unprepared fleshiness, and he must tread on the holy ground and touch God's holiness. Now, I don't envy chiropodists uh, because feet can be a bit gross. Um, our feet can be, you know, they're the lowest, grubbiest, sweatiest, sometimes the smelliest part of our body. But God said, bear them in order to tread this holy ground, he said. Don't cover them, don't hide them, don't dress them up. Bear them just as they are, even them in all their unreadiness, as a symbol, I think, of how your whole person must approach God in all its unreadiness. And it's like God was saying to Moses, actually, you have to come to me uncovered, letting go of all barriers and pretenses or performances. Now, there must have been something really quite disconcerting about that. If you put yourself in Moses' place, I was tempted to say in his shoes, but, uh, but think about it. This must have been quite disconcerting about meeting touching absolute holiness with bare feet the thought of your you know your real uncovered vulnerable flesh in contact with the divine god's holiness touching my very skin in direct contact with god in his perfection were moses feet in all their imperfection now it seems very risky to come to God like that, just as I am. But that is what God said to him, take off your shoes. In fact, he said, stop, take off your shoes first, tread this holy ground with your bare skin. That is how you must approach me, God said. In fact, Moses mustn't come any further, God said, until he'd done that first. And I think that's as if to say that there is no other way to approach God other than in the complete honesty and openness and yes vulnerability of who we genuinely really are now sadly our religion can sometimes become the opposite of that the opposite of genesis uh, of exodus 3 verse 5 you know god says take off your sandals bear your human feet this is holy ground but our religion sometimes becomes put on your shoes this is holy ground, you know, cover up your humanity, uh, put on an air of piety for God, pretend to be other than you really are. Whereas God is saying, I can only talk to you in your honest humanity. Our religion will sometimes make that mistake of attempting to cover up real life in all its messiness and put on a sort of mask of tidiness, religious tidiness over everything instead but god is actually only interested in what is real what is real in life itself and certainly what is real in us no matter what that might be and in fact the only way that god's holiness can meet with us and transform us is if we do come to god with bare feet if you like if we come to god just as we are 
Now, this is actually part of the wonder of what we see in the incarnation of Christ, of course, when he himself became human. We see that the, the perfect, sinless, divine Son of God walked and mixed and touched and kissed and ate with and held and carried and loved us here just as we are, just as it is in the flesh of this often sin-filled world. There was no sanitizing of things before he came, no sweeping of the streets and putting on our best. Jesus came to the world in all its messy reality. And he didn't rip wince from it. We worry about God's reaction. Jesus did not wince. He did not reel back from it. He did not hate. He did not destroy. He was here with us and he touched and shared and healed and held and died and rose again in full contact with us in all our imperfection. And it is actually only that that saves us, like nothing else can save us. Only when the holiness of God and the bare feet, shall we say, of us, when, when those meet together, that is where salvation actually begins. Which is exactly what Moses discovered here when he took off his sandals in Exodus 3, because when he'd done that and then he approached God in bare feet, it was then that he heard God speak words. And if you read on, God spoke to Moses about who he is as God. And then he told Moses that he'd heard our cries and that he was actually going to save us. There's a fascinating episode in the New Testament Gospels when Simon Peter realized that he, he, like Moses, he was in contact with God. And he was face to face, Peter was, with God's holiness. And like Moses and others before, Peter wanted to hide. Uh, so this is in Luke 5, where Jesus performed an incredible miracle while Peter was on a boat. It was one of the miraculous catches of fish. And in Luke 5, verse 8, it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. So Peter was afraid of that contact. Go away from me, he said to Jesus. I can't be here with you like just as I am, a sinful man. But it was at that precise moment when Peter said that, that Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, Peter. Peter wanted, naturally, his reaction was to put a distance between himself and Jesus because he had seen who Jesus really is. And Peter was so aware, in, by contrast, of his own sin compared to Jesus's holiness. But it was precisely at that moment of realization and honesty for, for Peter that Jesus then spoke and said, you don't need to be frightened of me, Peter. It's almost, it is like the prerequisite for coming to God is not that we be perfect, but simply that we be honest. Or as the Bible often puts it elsewhere, we must be humble, not boastful. And I think the reason that doing that brings us to a place where God says our fears can be taken away is because it is there in that humility and that honesty before God, it is there that we discover God is full of grace. There's a, there's a phrase repeated quite a number of times actually in the Bible and it says this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Uh, pride there means boasting in oneself. But the Bible says that sort of pride of, you know, puffing ourselves up before God creates a kind of resistance, it says. You know, I, I think of it like trying to push against a strong wind or swim against a tide. You know, pride will put a resistance. God resists the proud. There's, it, it's like going against the tide if we're trying to approach God, saying, look at how wonderful I am, God. But on the other hand, if we come to God humbly, the Bible says there, in the honesty of all that we really are, it is grace. God gives grace to the humble. Grace meets us then from God. Grace is God's response to our bare feet. And it is our discovery of that grace, God's generous, freely given kindness, it is that which takes away fear. Don't be afraid, Jesus said to Peter. Why do you hide, God said to Adam and Eve? Or you can take off your sandals, Moses, God said. For all of these people, at that moment when all the pretenses fell away and there was nothing but their honest selves before God, it was then that they met face to face with a gracious God. And that grace then takes us and heals us and forgives us and saves us. Jesus illustrated this in that parable we read earlier in Luke 18 about two men approaching God in prayer. And uh, one was a very respected, very religious Pharisee. The other was a very despised tax collector. The religious Pharisee came to God boasting about how good he was, telling God how much better he was than everyone else. And, and Luke's gospel says, this is those who look down on everybody else. This is what they're like. Whereas the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He, he felt unable even to raise his head, Jesus says. And he simply said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus said, it's that man who went home justified with God, not the other. But the man aware of and honest about his imperfections, he went home, Jesus says, at peace with God, not the boastful religious man who had constructed such a rigid structure of self-righteousness around him that he was unable to acknowledge any imperfection before God or indeed before anyone, because if he had done that, that would be devastating to him. Everything would have crumbled. You know, often those who boast most about themselves, often they are actually the most afraid underneath. But when we just let all that go and we come honestly to God, as we are, we hear God say, don't be afraid. So God says to us today, like he did to Moses, you've got to take off your shoes, as it were, your mask, your false self that you perhaps feel better hiding behind. You must meet me, God says, with bare feet, just as you are. And then you will find, God says, that my grace will meet you. That's when justification happens, Jesus said in that parable. That's where fear is replaced with peace. That's when, like Adam and Eve in the garden, something far better is provided as a covering for us from God. And God and his grace, Jesus and his forgiveness, becomes our covering. Instead of those facades we like to construct. 
Jesus himself, of course, was face to face with the reality of our lives and the reality of our world day by day when he came to the world. His holiness was in direct contact with it and with us in all its reality. In fact, he came into, Jesus came into contact with those things in the extreme, didn't he? Here he was, the divine, perfect son of God in human flesh, living here among us, and we crucified him. We took his feet and we drove nails through them, pinning them to a cross. John the Baptist once said that we're not even really worthy to untie the sandals on Jesus' feet, but we nailed them to a cross instead. If ever our unholiness was in direct contact with the divine holiness, it was there at the cross in all its raw spectacle. But what did Jesus do? We're told he demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took it all. He absorbed it all. He let it all happen because he wanted to carry it all for us. He died for all of that imperfection and awfulness because his grace will take all our sin, all our uncleanness, and his grace will carry it away upon his own shoulders. That's what he did at the cross. He died under all its weight. And then he rose again. And what did he say to his disciples? Again, he said, don't be afraid. And he spoke about his forgiveness. And he spoke about his peace I give to you, he said. And he said, I'm with you always, to the very end. And he spoke to them about salvation now being spread in his name to the rest of the world. So Christ is actually the only covering, shall we say, that we really need. Galatians 3 puts it like that. It says, God clothes us in Christ when we come to him in faith. Whenever we take communion, um, we take those symbols of who Jesus is into us, into who we really are inside. And I like the fact that we eat and drink the bread and wine because we have to take it in there where nothing's covered up. And our hearts are open to the grace of God through and through. And it's good, I think, that we take the bread and wine into us in the eating and drinking, because then the symbolism of the body and blood of Christ reminds us that he's got to come into the depths of our lives. He's got to, we've got to let Jesus come face to face with who we really are so that we can hear him say, don't be afraid. My body and blood was given for you. And his grace then begins to do things. It is pride that will create the resistance. It is the openness and humility that will allow Christ to come in and do wonderful things of salvation. In New Testament times, as I said to the children earlier, in New Testament times, the, the feet were considered a, a really unworthy part of the body. Only the lowest of slaves in many cultures were expected to touch another person's bare feet. This was why the disciples were so shocked in John 13 when Jesus poured water into a bowl and started washing their feet. And at first Peter said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. But Jesus said to him, unless I wash you, 
you can have no portion with me or no part or no share. So that's a question. How is it that we come to share in the life of God, in the life of Christ? It is by coming to him just as we are with our bare and dusty feet, as it were, and finding that what does Christ do? He washes us. His grace begins to make us whole again. He welcomes us, saves us, heals us. Christ, who is Lord of all, comes to us just as we are, and he washes our feet. So when we think about ourselves and God, yes, sometimes we have a tendency to try and cover up who we really are. Like Moses, we are afraid to look at God, perhaps, because we're afraid maybe to face ourselves, and we maybe fear that we'll be rejected. But God calls us to do what might seem at that moment counterintuitive, risky, maybe even dangerous. But God calls us to just take off our shoes and rest our feet, rest our whole honest weight on him just as we are. And it is only then, barefoot on holy ground, that we discover the God of grace who heals us.